in our series, I think we might have one more message um, from the book of Judges, finding Jesus in the book of Judges. And um, we're not going through the book of Judges. What we're doing is we're looking at the various judges that God brought uh, along to help Israel come back to God. The, here, here's kind of the problem with Israel. They, they love God for 20 years, and then they get sidetracked, and they forget about God, and they worship idols, and they do all kinds of horrible things in idolatry. And then God says, look, I'm the Lord your God. Love me with all your heart. And then, of course, Israel says, we don't know who you are. We've forgotten about who you are. And so God says, well, then I'm going to send this, this nation to come in and to put you under oppression. And so then the Philistines or the Canaanites or somebody like that, the Simonites, would come in and subject the Philistines to all kinds of, I mean, the Israelites to all kinds of stuff. And then they would cry out to God, and God would send in a deliverer, um, savior, who would be the judge and help them along. The judge would lead them in holiness and righteousness until they died. And then again, Israel would do what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Just kind of like this, this cyclical thing going on and on and on and on. And, and this morning, the guy that we're going to be talking about is pretty famous. He's probably maybe the most famous of all the judges, and that's Samson. Samson and who? See, you already knew that. All right, let's uh, thank you, Jesus. Bless this time together. Let's go home now, right? Because you got the message. You got the message, right? It's Samson and Delilah. Well, we're not going to talk about them so much this morning because there's so much more to Samson's life that we need to learn about and need to understand and learn what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus. Because, I, you know, okay, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So let me just kind of back it up a little bit and get you to where we're going. One of the things about Samson is if you take a look at his life, probably some of the words that would, you would use to describe him would be some of the words that you've used with maybe some people you know. And those words are wasted opportunity, wasted potential. Because Samson's a man that had all this potential. He had this opportunity to get up and to serve God and to do everything that God had called him to do. I mean, here's a guy who had it set up for him to succeed before he was even born. The problem with Samson is that he was strong physically, but he was weak spiritually. He was strong physically, but he was weak spiritually. I'm, I'm not even going to kind of follow my notes for the, for the most part because, um, I don't know, they're just words on a piece of paper. So... What I want to do is I want to give you a little background on Samson, just in case you don't. I mean, here's what we do know about Samson. The great thing about Samson is when we, when we look at him, he's done all of these great things for God. He took the jawbone of a donkey, and, and it was one that had died just recently, and he killed a thousand Philistines with a donkey's jawbone. You know what you call that? You call that a donkey kicking. I know some of you are thinking something else. You can find that in the King James. 
Okay, so he killed a thousand Philistines with a, a jawbone of a donkey. And it wasn't kind of like he did 10 here and 50 there. It was like a thousand came at him and he killed them. He laid them out. And I mean, it was a bloody mess. There was blood everywhere. And there were dead guys laying everywhere. And when he got done, he threw the jawbone away. And then he cries out to God and he goes, here you've provided this, this great victory for me. Now I'm going to die because I don't have anything to drink. And so God split open a rock and gave him water to drink. He took 300 foxes and he gathered, because he's really mad at the Philistines, and he ties their tails together and puts a torch in between them, lights the torch and sends them into the wheat fields and the wheat that's already standing and been harvested. He sends them out and they burn everything down and the Philistines are like, what? Why would you do that? See, he's got this thing going on and, and, and the Spirit of God comes on him to do these things and so he is empowered by the Spirit of God. And so Samson has all of these these moments where he's, he's going out and he's doing these great and mighty things for God. And we look at Samson and we go like, yeah, you go, Samson. You're the guy. You're the guy that we want to cheer for. You're the guy that's going to go out there and, and just bring the house down, as it were, which we will see at the end of this. But there's this all going on and it's, it's the Spirit of God coming on Samson. So let me just get us back to the beginning of, of the story of Samson so that we get a, a clear picture of who he is and how he came to be this mighty man of God. And so Judges 1, uh, 13, 1 says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. 40! The longest period that they'd been under sub the subjection of another country was 20 years up to this point. They'd been, in, you know, they'd been punished for 8 years, 7 years, 18 years, 20 years, and now 40 years. And you're probably as tired of seeing this because this is kind of how we start off every one of these talks about a judge is that, and Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord again. And we're going like, we've already heard that, Pastor Ken. Let's move it along. There's got to be something else to this story. Well, in the book of Judges, that's kind of the way the whole thing flows. Is there's this, this wickedness and evil that Israel does. They, they put themselves against God. If you're not for God, you're against God. If you're not walking in holiness and righteousness, you're walking in the position of sinfulness and, and dishonoring God with your life. And so God's going like, I don't want you to go down this path because it's going to be bad for you spiritually and physically and emotionally. Worshiping idols is going to be really bad for you. And Israel's going like, well, no, no, we like it. It's a lot of fun. and We really enjoy doing this. And so what happens is, is that there's this, this progress that happens. There's a, a progress of greater degree of depravity with Israel. Every time they step into worshiping idols again, it's a greater degree of depravity that sets in amongst the nation. And then what God does is he uses a greater degree of discipline and punishment in order to bring Israel back to worshiping and being with God, the one and true God. And we see this by the actions, and it's, it's God's what he does. I want to take you back 
Because we never even talked about this when we started this series. Back at the beginning of the book of Judges, this is God's view of Israel. This is his mandate of what's taking place. He's saying, look, here's why this is going to happen. And here's what he says in Judges chapter 2. He says, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands. This is talking about Israel, uh, of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges For they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hands of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Get this, here it is. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practice, practices or their stubborn ways. Do you get the picture of what happens here? It's like what we talked about last week. Remember, they, they cried out to God last when we looked at Jephthah, Last week, they cried out to God for mercy, and God's gone like, I've had enough of you guys. I've come in, I've rescued you from the Egyptians, I've rescued you from the Canaanites, and from the uh, Moabites, and the Amorites, all those ites. I've rescued you from all of them, and yet you keep after a while, you go back, and you serve, and you worship, and the word used here is hoard after the other gods which is a horrible word to use, but it wants to convey the message of what's going on with Israel. God says, you've done all that, and you keep going back to that, and so guess what? I'm done saving you. That's what he said last week. That's that's what we looked at last week, and they're going, no, 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 no. Do whatever you need to do, but please don't leave us in this condition. And so what God did is he came in, and he brought Jephthah to be the rescuer or, or the God. But what it said back last week when we looked at it is one of the the main things is they, it says they put away their idols to, to serve the Lord their God. They didn't destroy their idols, they just put them away. And if you put something away, then you can pull it back out for another time. This is a, a real lesson for us in our life as we walk with Christ. Because what happens is, is a lot of times we have sinful behavior that creeps into our life, and some of it's habitual, And instead of absolutely destroying it and putting it away, what we have a tendency to do uh, is is put it away. Just kind of shove it back over here in the drawer. And then when we get to that point where we're bored or we're fed up with life or we're discouraged or whatever it is that takes our attention away from God, we reach into that drawer and we pull out this thing that we've put away rather than destroying it. God wants us to destroy those Sinful habits that we set up against him. And every time we do that, we set them up against them. So now God's placed Israel into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And they've got, they've got this oppression coming down on them. And the, the, the thing that's different, once again, about God stepping in to intervene on behalf of Israel is that the last six times that we've looked at this, the people cried out to God and said, come and rescue us. We're sorry for what we've done. Come and be our God and get us out of the mess we've gotten ourselves into. That's been their cry and God stepped in. This time, the thing that's different 
is Israel isn't saying anything. Nobody is crying out to the Lord. There isn't a single solitary person or that is recorded in the Bible that anybody calls out and says, God, we are in such a bad way. We, the only one that can help us is you. They're just going through life because they've, they're kind of like the, the frog in the kettle. They've gotten used to the environment in which they've found themselves being oppressed by the Philistines and they're used to being held captive by the Philistines and doing what they've asked them to do. They are almost completely like slaves. And they're completely, they've grown accustomed to this misery and they're living in it. And God's saying, you should be calling out to me for help right now. But they don't even recognize God. And so God in his great mercy, he steps in and says, I'm going to give you a deliverer. But I'm going to raise this deliverer up for you. And so, Um, What I want you to, we're going to move to verses 2 through 5 of chapter 13. It says, And there was a certain man of Zorah from the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you were barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, Be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, eating nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. God has come to Mrs. Manoah and says, Look, here's the deal. I know you haven't had any children and so, and I know you're barren, and you can't have children, but I'm going to intervene on your behalf. God's going to intervene on your behalf. He is going to give you a son, and here's how this son is going to be raised. And she's like, what? Remember last week, Jephthah, his family tree died because of the, the rash vow he made with God. And this this. Manoah and his wife have no family tree. There is no one to carry on the family name. And now all of a sudden, guess what God's going to do? He's going to intervene on their behalf. He's going to provide a son. A miraculous birth, to say the least, right? It's a miracle. Remind you of anybody? Oh, yeah. Little Mary. And she's thinking, I'm just, I'm a virgin. How can I have a baby? It's like being old and barren. How can I have a baby? And God steps in and he intervenes on this family's behalf and he says, but this child that I am going to give you, this young man, you will raise him and he will be a Nazarite. And, and, and so there, she's like Mrs. Manoah's like out of her, we don't even know her name. It just says Manoah's wife. So I'll call her Mrs. Manoah. So anyway, so she's, She's going like, and she runs to her husband and says, you're never going to believe this. I think it was an angel. He was a man of God. And he came and he made this prophecy. And we're going to have a son. And we're going to raise him. And we're going to keep him from eating grapes or drinking wine or strong drink. He can't shave his head. And he can't hang around with dead animals or dead people or anything like that. And, and so, you know, um, it, it, yeah, it's just crazy. And his, his, her husband, Manoah, is going like, baby, what have you been drinking? You're crazy. We've been trying all these years and we don't have any kids. There's, we're just not going to have kids. 
But no, this guy told me, yeah, what, really? Okay, let's, let's see if this guy is really a guy from God. And so what does, what does Manoah do? He prays. Here's what he says. And Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, please let this man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. All right. All you parents, I'm going to tell you something because I'm a parent myself, so I'm in the same boat. When it comes to raising children, you get your first child, you're an idiot. You have no idea what to do with a kid. You go like, oh, I think, his, I think he's got a poopy diaper. And your wife says to you, honey, he's not even wearing a diaper. And you go like, oh. Yeah, you know, and so, so then you think, well, he's hungry. Because what do babies do? They eat, they mess themselves, and they sleep. And they do it all day long. All night long. I don't know whoever came up with that little terminology. I slept like a baby. So you messed yourself in the middle of the night and had to get up and change your pants? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not there. But, but what, what, what Manoah is asking of God is important. For all you parents, for all you who want to be parents, look what he says to God. Teach us what we are to do with the child. That should be your prayer. As soon as you find out that you've got a little bambino growing inside of you, your husband and wife, you should be putting hands on that bambino and you should be saying to God, Lord, teach us what to do with this child. Crickets. Uh, By the way, you might want to pray that prayer often. We're still praying that prayer, and we don't have any children that are living at home. Lord, teach us what to do with these children. And so he's, he's got this question going on because he, he feels like they're clueless in how to raise a godly child, verses 9 through 12. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of the Lord came to the woman as she sat in the field. I don't know what she was doing sitting in the field, but... She was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me before the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Okay, really important. Are you the man who spoke to this woman? Mm-hmm. He said, Yes, I am. And Manoah said, Now, your, now when your words come true, he's saying, We believe you. Here is the big request. What is to be the child's manner of life and what is to be his purpose? Again, parents, have you asked God what the manner of life and what the purpose is of your children? They're they're not just... It wasn't an accident. God gave you these children for a reason. He wants you to take these children and He wants you to to find out what their mission and what their purpose is so that you can raise them to help them to grow in the way of God so that they fulfill the mission that God's given to them. Amen? Let's get after it. And by the way, if you don't know what that is, 
There are a lot of old people in, well, not a lot. There's a few of us old people in here who've raised some children, and we're going to say something like, I don't know, we just kind of did it, and we weren't very smart about it, so here's what you should do. You should seek God more often and, and really let God speak to you in the way that, that this happens. But a lot of times that's not what goes on. We just kind of go about, about life. And so what happens is after that is, is that the angel of the Lord once again says he's not supposed to drink anything that comes off the vine. He's not supposed to eat grapes, fresh or dried grapes. Nothing to do with the vine. Not supposed to have any strong drink. He's not supposed to do these things. This is what a nat- So what happens is, is that, you know, we have all this going on and, 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 and what he's been called to be is a Nazarite which means that you are to be um, marked as separated for the work of God. So let me take you to Numbers 6, because this is where, where we find out what a Nazarite is and what the vow of a Nazarite looks like. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, whether a man or a woman makes a special vow, a vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink. He shall not drink any juice of the grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins." All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother or brother or sister. If they die, shall he make himself unclean because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. God called Samson to be a Nazarite. Samson didn't say, hey, I want to be a Nazarite. His mom, from, from the moment he was, before he was conceived, she quit drinking wine. She quit eating grapes. She quit having anything to do with strong drink. She herself took on the vow and the oath of being a Nazarite. It didn't, uh, taking that vow wasn't restricted to a man. It was a man or a woman. Now, usually that vow was for a certain period of time. It could have been for weeks, it could have been for months, it could have been for a year or two that somebody takes the vow of a Nazarite to abstain and to set themselves aside to be wholly used by God and they're not going to complicate things by, by participating in these things. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul set himself aside and took a Nazarite vow until he left Corinth as a church where you will read about it in Corinthians where after he left Corinth, he shaved his head. To, to signify that his vow of Nazarite was over. And so here we have Samson who's, who's going to follow this. So let me give you the three important aspects of this vow. First, no wine. Not supposed to drink wine or any strong drink, vinegar or eat the grapes or partake of any of the fruit, fermented or unfermented. This emphasizes sobriety so that there was nothing about the man or the woman that would be influenced by alcohol to glout crowd out God and lose um, self-control over what God's calling him to do. By the way, you know what the Bible says about drinking, right? It says, 
do not get drunk with wine. Why? Because it leads to debauchery. That's what God's saying here as a Nazarite. Don't get yourself caught up in this stuff. Don't even mess around. Don't even come close to it. Don't even eat the grapes of it. Don't get the taste of it for it, for it in your mouth at all. Stay far away. See, here's the difference between um, a vow of a Nazarite and sometimes what I think we as Christ followers do. Here's the line that God says, don't, don't go past the line or you'll fall off of here. So we stand with our toes and we're doing a little balancing act and we're going like, I'm not there yet. I'm close, but I'm not over the line. It's okay because I haven't quite gone over the line. My feet are over, but the rest of me is okay. And, and there's these things that God says don't do, but we walk right up to the line of it and we try to get as close as we can. Whereas the vow of a Nazarite says, stay as far away from the line as you can get. Matter of fact, you can't even see the line for as far back as I want you to be in your separation for God. That's what God's calling us to do as Christ followers. He wants us not to step up as close as we can. He wants us to set limits in our lives so that we don't enter into the places of debauchery. Because when we go to that place, all kinds of bad things happen, as we will see in just a few minutes. The second thing is no razor shall touch the head of one who has taken the vow of a Nazarite. (laughs) Yeah, I've let my locks grow now for like six months. Look at them. Right, Bo? You know it, brother. Mm. Because what, what that signifies is an act of submission to the Lord. I'm not going to cut my hair. I'm going to let it grow out. Now, I know, you know, like some kids are going like, hey, I'm a Nazarite. Look at me. I've got my hair going on. And Dad says, no, you need to get a haircut. Well, it's a holy thing. And then God, you know, then there's some other things you need to take into consideration with that. You did hear about the young fellow who wanted to grow his hair out really long, right? And his dad says, no, no, no. And so the boy was reading that Jesus had long hair. And um, he had his long hair. And, and he went to his dad, and, and his dad said, um, he said to his dad, could I please borrow the truck? And his dad says, yeah, as soon as you get a haircut. And he says, well, dad, I'm just being like Jesus. Jesus had long hair. And the dad said, yeah, and Jesus walked everywhere. (laughs) So don't shave your head if you're a Nazarite. It's symbolic to be under the submission of God. And the third thing is touch no dead bodies. I mean, I'm not going to go into all of it, but I'll just give you a clue as to how this works. So they they actually, uh, the Levitical law makes provision for you, like if you're sitting at the movie theater, and the guy sitting next to you drops over dead and leans on you, now you're unclean because you touched a dead person, and you have to go through this whole purification thing as a Nazarite to purify yourself from the defilement of the dead body. You, you can't, you know, I mean, if you're sleeping in bed with your wife and she drops over dead in the middle of the night and her arm was on you when she died, you're defiled. And so there's these strict regulations about defiling uh, a, a, a person yourself with a dead body. And so uh, let me run over them real, real quick again. No wine signifies sobriety. No razor to signify submission. No cadavers to signify separation, sanctification, and um, generation from everything that is unclean. Now, all of this 
needs to be underscored with utter separation that the Nazarite was to be influenced by God, not by the outward things. And so it was really a vow of separation. So let's move on back to the story of, of Samson. So the woman, Mrs. Manoah, bore a son, and they called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. Now, now this is all we get to know about Samson as a kid. We don't learn anything about him from, from other than that the Lord was upon him, the Lord was blessing, and the Lord was stirring something inside of him that was going to be great. Sound familiar? Remember Jesus when he was a boy? How much do we know? Just his time at the temple, basically. And God was growing him in stature. Same thing here. And, and, and so... Um, we're going to fast forward a little bit and we're going to catch up to go into chapter 14 and it says in verses 2 and 3, this, now he's a young adult. I want you to think about this. He's probably somewhere between 16 and 19, maybe 20. Yeah, that's the time frame because he's at the marrying age. He's, his hormones are in full-blown male kind of testosterone kind of thing going on. And so here he is and, and it says, then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all the people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistine? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Kind of a demanding little punk. All of a sudden, this guy who has been taught by his mom and dad the ways of the Lord, he's been raised to understand what it means to follow God. He understands his vow of being a, a Nazarite. He knows he's not supposed to get involved with, with um, alcohol. He knows he's not shaving his head, so now he's kind of got the Fazio thing going on. He thinks he really, you know, all that in a bag of chips when he walks into town, and he sees this girl that's pleasing to his eyes. He's never had a conversation with her. He never went up to her and said, hey, baby, my name's Samson. How do you like me so far? He never had a conversation with her. He looked at her and said, she's hot. I want her as my wife. Dad, I want her as my wife. Dad's going like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's put the brakes on. This is the sworn enemy of God they're out and they're, they're keeping the Israelites all across the nation oppressed. They're introducing um, idol worship and, and idolatry on all kinds of levels. There's all kinds of debauchery and wickedness and evil going on from this, this people. Her dad is an idol worshiper. She's an idol worshiper. You look, we've got millions of, of family members and, and Israelites all across the nation. Let's go on a trip and we'll find you one. We'll find you a good-looking babe. Not a problem. And he's like, nope. That's the one that looks good in my eyes. That's the one I want. Now get her. Boom. Done. Yep. Don't talk. You know what I want? Do it. You just kind of want to go like, I'm just going to smack you into next week. Except it's Samson. Kind of like difficult to do. So he's, he's out to get this, all he's interested in is her good looks. I, I want to emphasize something here. Is that Samson is totally walking by sight, not by faith. 
He's looking, and all he sees is, is kind of like every, <laughs> every guy on the planet that still has a pulse. He sees a good-looking woman, and he goes like, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, if you're not saying, yeah, uh-huh, you're a guy, and you're not saying, wow, she's really gorgeous, she's really good-looking. If you're not a guy and you're not saying that, at least you're, don't you know, I, don't, I know you guys know, I never say that out loud so my wife can hear me. Uh, I do. <laughs> hey, honey, look at her. She's really good looking. You know what Lorinda says? Yeah, she is. She knows there is no chance that that gal would ever be interested in this old dog. <laughs> She's going to like, yeah, good luck, dude. Good luck with that one. Every man sees a woman and his hormones are stirred by sight. And if any guy says, baby, I love you for your mind, any guy says that to you girls, you go like liar, pants on fire. Not true. I can remember, um, this was when my dad was still alive. And he was about 75, 76. And we ended up at the mall my dad, and my nephew, who at the time was 35. I was about 45, and my son, Justin, was around 15. And so we're all in the mall sitting on the, you know, they have, there's a bench in the mall, and there's a plaque on the bench, and it says, this is where men come to die with their wives who have come to the mall. They sit on the bench they, they die, they drag you out and put you in an incinerator in the back and burn you up. You just disappear. Anyway, so we're all sitting there. You know, there's, there's my son, 15, my nephew, 35. I'm 40, no, he must have been 25. I was 45, and my dad was 75. Four of us sitting there. Just wasting time away. All of a sudden, this 25-year-old girl really good looking, goes walking by, and all four heads go. <laughs> My dad's sitting here, and I look at him, and he's got a grin on his face. I go, hey, Dad, what does a 15-year-old, a 25-year-old, a 45-year-old, and a 75-year-old all have in common? He goes, I don't know what. I said, a 25-year-old. <laughs> yep. So that's, that's Samson's problem, right? He's, he's looking only with his eyes. He's looking at the flesh. And he sees this girl. And he says, I have to have her. Now listen, I'm not a, there's nothing against attractive women. Let me just say that. I married one. Who laughed? It's true. I don't know why, but she said yes to me. I, I tricked her somehow. But anyway, so there's all these people, that, all these women that he could marry, and he says, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to seek out this Philistine woman. But the, the interesting thing is you go to verse 4 and it says, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord that he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines at the time the Philistines ruled over Israel. So here's the bottom line, is, here's what's going on, is that even in Samson's sinful behavior... God is going to take Samson's sinful behavior and he's going to flip it and use it for his purposes. Now, I want you to understand something about this. 
he sees this woman. He wants this woman. He wants to be married to this woman. He wants to have sex with this woman. He's got the flesh, the lust of the flesh going on in his life. And he's just looking at her. And that's all he can think about. And so it's a sinful act that he's stepping into. I want you to understand, God did not coerce Samson into marrying this woman. God would rather have him obey the word of the Lord and not marry an idol-worshiping Philistine. A Gentile. He wanted Samson to marry an Israelite gal, and there were lots of them to do. But Samson, he had his mind made up. He had his will set on this girl, and he was going to do what was wicked and evil in the sight of God. And God said, you go ahead, because I'm going to use that to bring punishment to the Philistines, and I will discipline you for your sinful behavior. God still used sinful behavior for his glory. Now, I want to say something to you. I want you to get this in your mind. That does not give us license to step in and operate in sinful behavior on our own because there's still going to be a consequence for Samson in this because God told him not to do it and he did it anyway. God's going like, okay, I told you. Now here's the consequences of your sin. And that's what we're going to see in just a few minutes. But here, here's what it says in Proverbs 20, 24. It says, Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of the man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So you see, even though we set our mind on doing the things that are against God's will, God still has a way of coming in and going like, I know you want to do something sinful here. I'm going to use your sinful behavior for my glory. It would have been even far greater. It would have been better. It would have had a stronger uh, testimony, a stronger word to other people if you would have obeyed and done the right thing in the first place. But this is not out of my wheelhouse of being able to fix your mess up. Your mess up, I can fix. So his first thing that he did is he chose the wrong mate. Now the second thing he did is he chose the wrong thing to eat. Because what happened is, is, is now they've got this whole thing where they're setting up and they're going to they're gonna do the wedding. And so he has to go down to Timnah from where he was living in Zorah. He had to go down to Timnah and they had to put together a meal. He, obviously, his dad and mom um, arranged the marriage for her to be married to Samson and everything was working great. And so Samson went to prepare this big meal for all of his people. They, the, the Philistines said, hey, you don't have any mates. So here, here's 30 guys that are going to be your best friends now. These guys were not good guys to be hanging around with because they're idol worshipers too. They are deprived and they have a depravity in their mind of idol worship and all the, the stuff that goes along with that. And, and God's going like, don't do that. But he did. He took these 30 guys on. And so they prepare this meal, and they're, they're going back and forth between Timna and Zorah. One time on the way down, before the, the big wedding feast, as Sam, his mom and dad are just ahead of him some ways. I don't know how far, but he was, him and his parents were going there. And a young lion came out to Samson. And the Bible says that he had nothing in his hands, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, rushed upon him, and he grabbed that lion and he ripped it apart with his bare hands. I'm not just talking he's put a chokehold on it, broke its neck. I'm talking ripping its jaws apart, pulling its arms off. He absolutely destroyed this thing. Like, like it, 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 It's like if you had a goat 
that you had been cooking uh, over the fire for eight hours and then you pulled it apart. It just fell apart like that. That's what Samson did to this lion. And he threw it down and he did his thing. And they went down and he did some stuff. They went back to Zorah. And as he was going back for the wedding, him and his mom and dad, he looked and he saw the carcass of that lion and he noticed that there was a beehive inside of it. So he went over and he scooped out all the honey and he was eating the honey and he walks over to his mom and dad and goes, hey, you want some? And so now his mom and dad are also eating the honey that came out of a cadaver, out of the carcass. Remember, as a Nazarite, he's not supposed to touch this carcass. He totally disregards everything that God has told him that he's supposed to do with his life. He's going like, I know, look, I'm hungry right now, and my hunger is over going to ride what I know God's called me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do because my instincts, my internal instincts are telling me to do this. My internal instincts are telling me to chase after this woman. God says, don't chase after. My instincts are telling me now to go ahead and eat the honey out of this dead carcass. I'm going to do what I want to do regardless of what God tells me to do. we end up being in the same place. We end up having the same things going on in in our life. We know what God has told us to do. We know when we are stepping into sinful behavior. We know when we are violating the, the, the law that God has laid down, not because He wants to keep us subjected, but we obey God because we love Him. That's the whole thing of the Nazarite, is he's been separated unto God for God's service not just because he can do this, but because God has called him and because he loves God so much, he wants to spend his life serving and honoring God. Samson didn't do it. Samson reminds me a lot of um, some of our professional athletes today. Our professional athletes are these big, strong guys. I mean, they are they're pretty spectacular specimens of man flesh. They've got the big pipes going on. They're built. I mean, they are like, wow. But here's the thing. They just, their whole attitude is, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm meaner, I'm faster, I'm more good looking, I've got more money, I can do whatever I want to. The law does not apply to me because I'm a special professional athlete. I can do whatever I want and, and nothing's going to happen to me. And you will see time in and time out how many of these professional athletes have uh, ended up in domestic abuse and they've done other kinds of law-breaking things where they have lost their job, their status, and everything else. And what do we say about those people? What a waste of good talent. What a wasted opportunity. What a waste of a life. We say the same thing about, about this with Samson. I'm going to quickly hit up um, a couple more things as I, as I come to close off here. In chapter 14, verses 19 and 20. Okay, so remember his 30 friends? He, he, he gave them a, a um, oh, it'll come to me. It's, it's an AARP moment. He had a riddle. He gave a riddle to his 30 buddies. And he said, see if you can fin- figure out what the riddle is. You know, what was strong is weak. What was mighty produces sweet. Something like that. I don't I didn't. They couldn't figure out the riddle, so they went to his wife and said, 
if you don't get the riddle from your husband, we're going to burn down your house and your dad and you with your dad. We're just going to burn you up. The Philistines were kind of mean that way. And so she pressed Samson enough, and, and he gave her the answer to the riddle. And then on the very last day that they had to answer the riddle, they gave the answer to the riddle, and, he's, and here's what Samson said. If you wouldn't have plowed with my heifer, you would have never known. I mean, who's going to call their wife a heifer? And so he had to go get 30 clothing, uh, sets of clothes for his 30 friends. friends. So he goes down and he goes to this, this town called Ashkelon. And he struck down 30 men of the town and took the spoil and gave their garments. So basically, he went down and killed 30 guys and brought all their, he stripped them naked and brought all their clothing and gave the clothing off of dead men to these guys. Okay, again, the guys are dead and he's handling dead people. He's violated his, his sacred oath to God. Um, and then he went away. He was so mad, he went away to his father's house. The Bible says that he was hot in anger. And he went to his father's house, but then Samson's wife was given to his companion best man of the wedding. How would you like that, fellas? You know, something goes wrong, you go off for a little while, and you come back, and and your father-in-law says, oh, sorry, dude, I gave your wife to your best man. She now belongs to him. Here's my other daughter, you can have her. She's really lovely. She's got a really nice attitude. She's really nice. So, so Samson, that's when he set the fire, you know, everything on fire. And then that's when they, the Philistines retaliated and they burned his wife and her dad. That's what the Philistines did to his ex-wife. They burned her and her dad, lit them on fire alive, poured oil on them, lit them up, burned them. And so then Samson, now he's pouting because he didn't get what he wanted. And God kept him from actually being in a relationship and having a child with this Philistine, uncircumcised daughter, or daughter of an uncircumcised Philistine. So what does Samson do? In 16.1, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The fl- his, he's still stumbling over his sin of the flesh of the eye, his lust. And then in verse 4, it says he loved a woman from the valley of Sork, whose name was Delilah. And we know what happened is, is that now Delilah's in the, in the process. She's getting paid money to get Samson to reveal where his strength comes from. And to make a long story short, he finally reveals to her that it's his hair. His head gets shaven. And now God says, okay, enough is enough. Because you weren't supposed to uh, you know, eat or touch a carcass, you've done that. I'm sure you've, and you weren't supposed to marry somebody outside of Israel, and you probably have already had something to drink. We don't know that for sure. And now he's had his head shaved, and God says, my spirit's moved from you. So they captured Samson, and they took him, and they gouged out his eyes, and they hooked him up to a millstone, and all he did, hour in and hour out, is he pushed the grinding of this millstone to make flour. That was his lot in life, a, white, a life that was wasted, the opportunity scorned, the ability to serve God in a mighty way is taken away from him. 
But let me show you how Samson's life ends up. Chapter 16, verses 28 and 30. Then Samson called to the Lord, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may avenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against him, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He bowed with all, bowed with all of his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his lifetime. Let me give you the picture of what this is like. They're having this crazy celebration of harvest time to their God. And so they're at a temple. They brought in Samson to make fun of him and to make sport of him because here's this strong guy that now they've got him subdued. And they didn't realize his hair had grown back out. And, and, and so Samson's, and, and they're having a big party. So there's people inside the building. And then there's 3,000, the Bible says, on the roof of this temple. 3,000 men and women. These are the upper echelon, the, the rich and the powerful, the famous, the, the leaders of the nation. They've all come, you only get their, you know, it's a, it's a black tie special event. And you only get in by special invitation. And so there's 3,000 on the roof. We don't know how many were underneath. And so he says, let me avenge this, Lord. See, here's the thing that I want you to pick up. Even after his great failure, even after all the, the rotten things that he did, even in his walking away from God, even in his, his um, pride of life and the lust of his eyes, he still does what? He comes back to the Lord his God. And in his last, he cries out and says, let me do what you called me to do. Let me fulfill the purpose in which you brought me to this planet for. And God gave him the strength and he pushed over the pillars and he killed 3,000. The 3,000 that were on the roof, they all died, plus what was ever inside. And if out of that, there was a subjection that came to the Philistines at that time. God brought them under the control of Israel because all the leaders were in one spot and they were all killed at one moment by this servant of God. He killed them all. So, the things we need to avoid of being like Samson is the lust of the eye and the pride of life. James 4, 6 through 10 says, but he, that's God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. If you learn nothing from Samson except this, he humbled himself before the Lord and God exalted him. Do you know where Samson's name shows up outside of the New Test Old Testament? It's in, it's in Hebrews chapter 11. The hall of fame, the hall of faith. God calls him a faithful servant. Samson, with all of his misgivings, is called a faithful servant. Here's what God does from Romans 8. 
And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for saints according to the will of God. And we know for those who love God that all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, you may be thinking that your life doesn't carry any significance. You may be thinking that that you don't have anything that God can use. But I am going to tell you that even in the midst of what you think about yourself, you are not living up to who God called you to be. God called you to be his daughter, his son. God called you to be his beloved. He loves you more than you love yourself. He cares deeper for you than you would even know. And so today, the message that we get from Samson is that God is a God of second chances, third chances. God is a God of hope. He will extend his hope into your life so that you can fulfill the purpose and the mission for which he has called you to. There is fruit that God wants to bear out of your life. Two things that I think people often struggle with when they think about being used by God or even coming to God. And I don't know, you may fit into one of these two categories. There are people who would say, I got, you don't know my life. I've done some really horrible things. I've done some really bad things. And I don't think God could use such a bad person as me. <laughs> Look at Samson. And the problem is with, with that is when we say that, You know what we're saying about God? God, you're too small to deal with my big issues. So number one, your God could be too small. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God of Samson. Number two, sometimes what we do is we have these little sin things taking place in our life, sinful behavior, sinful actions, and what we say is it's no big deal. See, that's where Samson got off track. He looked at a woman that he should have said no to, and he was thinking to himself, it's no big deal. She's a woman. I'm a man. It's no big deal. Every sin is an offense to God, and it's always a big deal. So let's conform ourselves to the image of Christ by humbling ourselves before God so that in due time he will exalt us. And as he exalts us, we will give him the glory. Amen? Our Father, we thank you this morning that you care deeply about every aspect of our lives, that there isn't anything that we can do that will rob you of the glory. You are the God of all glory. You are the God who came and rescued us from ourselves. We thank you for Samson, even though most of his life seemed to be squandered from the things that you wanted to do through him, if he would have given himself wholly over to you. May we learn the lessons from Samson. May we make a commitment and a vow today, God, that we will give our lives to you so that you may produce your good work in us to accomplish the purposes that you have working through us. We thank you that you love us, that you care for us, and you never give up on us. We pray these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.